great book a tampa bay times podcast on florida education issues it is april 20th while we're recording this i'm reporter jeff solacek and i'm here with education editor tom tobin how's it going tom i'm doing great jeff how are you today it's another beautiful day here in florida sunny and the legislature is still in session for another two weeks or so and so we have lots to talk about you said it uh, um we're here. We have a lot of education bills to talk about, and we'd also we're going to talk about some growth issues that surfaced in a couple of our uh, districts this week. Uh, but first, uh, Jeff, uh, it's getting to be in Tallahassee like you need a scorecard to keep track of all the education bills, and you, you, Jeff, are going to help us take stock of all that. Uh, you wrote uh, this week about uh, commented on the blog about something called a bill train, a train of legislation, uh, and that's what's happening to a lot of our education bills. Every year it happens to us. All the things that have been talked about all session long, and, and mind you, when we say all session long, we're only talking about a few weeks. We get two months to get everything in and out. And a lot of things get talked about, but not a lot always comes to the finish line. So right now, like every year, we have what we call trains, the bills that seem to be gathering up ahead of steam down the track, and the ones that were, were around the edges that are all being tacked on. This morning, the House Education Committee took up this one bill, and it wasn't a very large bill, and it was simply relating to whether they should make tests public after the students have taken them. And it turned into a lengthy piece of legislation where it added in pieces about should we do away with value-added model for evaluations, should we add paper or pencil testing back into pieces of into back into the testing system and, and a whole variety of other things that were tangentially related. The Senate on the other side has added to its testing bill recess, which hadn't been moving for a while, a, and a variety of other pieces that are all coming down the track at the same time. And so these two bills will converge eventually after they get out of their respective houses, but it's kind of hard to know what's going to be in each one. They're not the same, but they're similar enough that something might be done. And that's what we call the train. And other things may be added on along the way. Things that somebody wants in and their bill just never made it to the floor and didn't get it all the way to the finish line and they want to try one more time. We've seen it happen every year. Right. And to layer on some complexity, I think uh, President uh, Negron was asked this week if he saw some of these education bills uh, being part of the horse trading that goes on uh, every session. And his response was, uh, to quote uh, Senator Anateri Flores, who says, everything is related to everything. Uh, that was, And he said, I won't comment beyond that. So that seems like an apt description. Everything is related to everything. It's all in play uh, with just a couple of weeks left. Uh, and uh, let's talk about some of the other education bills that we've been talking about all session. Uh, you mentioned recess. You mentioned the testing bill. We've got a big one uh, that's uh, been, been discussed at length here and uh, is not liked very well by a lot of the superintendents and administrators across uh, Florida, the, the Schools of Hope bill. Uh, what have you uh, run across, Jeff, in, in covering this bill as it makes its way through? Schools of Hope is 
kind of a code word for charter schools. And, and this bill really is a house effort to put a lot of money into charter schools and to bring a whole new layer of charter schools into the state of Florida. It's designed to be a backstop, I guess, for schools in the traditional system that have perpetually struggled and not done very well on the state testing system. Now, it was interesting interesting that the outgoing superintendent of Duval County, Nikolai Vidi, wrote a lengthy letter to lawmakers saying that it's very odd to base your philosophy on hope rather than on data. And he took a lengthy look at how he thought that the Schools of Hope bill would do anything but succeed. And there are a lot of other people who agree with him. The state Senate is looking, like you said, to horse trade. They have... They have their issues on higher education that they're trying to get funded, and they've talked about how they might see their way clear to letting the Schools of Hope bill go through. And one of their ideas was to put more money actually into the public schools, those struggling schools that the House is so quick to write off and give the money to charters. The the Senate, which also has that whole issue about putting more money through taxes into, you remember that? The whole question about capital money, right? No, the, re- the required local effort tax rate. And so that was generating an extra 500 some odd million dollars in the Senate budget. And they're saying, well, you know, if you want some of the $200 million, maybe we should put an additional amount of money into the, those struggling, failing schools that are the traditional schools. And then maybe the trade-off will be that, plus the taxes, plus the college funding that the Senate wants, and around it goes. It's hard to know. With two weeks left to go, Everything is on the table, like you said, and and what comes out at the end, you practically have to wait until the final bill is written and passed and the hanky drops. Now, on on Schools of Hope, I mean, the argument for that from the House, the people who are pushing it is, you know, we've had, we've seen these struggling schools uh, for quite a few years now, and uh, the Florida's formula for helping those schools hasn't really uh, pulled a lot of them out of trouble. Uh, You have these district-managed plans uh, where they repopulate the whole staff, the new leadership, and and then it's still the same thing three years later, four years, five years later, as as Speaker Corcoran said. Um, So uh, that's the argument for it, but the uh, administrators, the superintendents, made a uh, powerful argument against it as well, and it's just going to be... I wonder how much of this is going to take place in the sunshine, this uh, this discussion uh, about this very important discussion of how to help these schools. Well, they do do a lot of their money conversations between chairmen in basically private as they're doing conference on appropriations bills. And so a lot of it will probably just come out in paperwork that we read later on and you have to find it. A lot of times it will be one line somewhere like a, a money line buried deep into a, a spreadsheet. Uh, it just kind of depends on who's paying attention and who brings it to our attention. And a lot of times we find out about it after it happened. The whole question about best and brightest a couple of years ago, no, nobody really realized it was there until after it was adopted and, and they were trying to find out how it was going to work. Well, speaking of best and brightest, where is that on the, on the train uh, this week? Uh, do we know? There are a couple of bills that have it included. The House and Senate don't agree on every detail, and so it's moving forward but towards conference, as a lot of these things are headed. So that's why at the last two weeks of the session, we pay attention 
but only kind of because you just don't know what's actually happening. It happens fast, and as soon as we tell you something happened, the next thing happens, and and it's not the same. So all the more, all the more reason, Jeff, to stay tuned uh, for our listeners to stay tuned to the Great Book because uh, uh, we do. Our staff does keep up with all those twists and turns. We try. Let's pivot to uh, local. Our local issues here, uh, we've had a, uh, in a couple of our counties, Pasco and Hillsboro, uh, have had some growth issues uh, surface uh, as points of discussion this week. In, in Pasco, you covered a uh, discussion about impact fees there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, sure. We have the school district growing by thousands of students a year. It's a situation that hasn't happened for a little while. It was flat, but it has traditionally been one of your faster growing school districts in the state and for a while back a few, a few years ago in the country. And the problem has been that the new growth in homes hasn't paid for new schools. And so that's part of the reason we've had to deal with rezoning issues, people getting really upset about being sent from schools with no space because they're so crowded into schools maybe farther away that might have space or sometimes into schools that just have a little more space but are crowded themselves. And there's not enough new schools to go around. The county is looking at whether to increase impact fees, which is an assessment placed on new home construction to help support new school construction that's required specifically because these new homes will be generating students. It's a, it's a really interesting debate. The f- people in the community really want to see this happen, but there's the builders who are involved in the advisory committee process, and they're looking for other ways to raise money. It's a, it's a constant refrain. The county hasn't increased its impact fee in a decade just about, and it's been fought along the way, mostly because the builders don't want to tack on extra money to these new homes. The the problem is that they're going to find that people aren't going to want to buy new homes when they're told that their schools are either overcrowded or really far away because that's where the seats are. And don't those those impact fees get passed on to the home buyers too, is that right? They do, and with the new homes going up in value, especially in the southern portion of Pasco County, into they used to be like maybe $125,000 is what they said the average price of a home was around here but now it's much more than that and if you spread out the additional 4,000 or so dollars over a 30 year mortgage on a $425,000 home it doesn't amount to much so it'll be interesting to see where the builders come out on all this and what actually happens cuz the county commission not the school board has to approve any increase in impact fees interesting and and uh, neighboring hillsboro a bigger county um, uh, has, in many ways is not as far along as Pasco in this whole discussion. They're sort of learning the initial impact right now. Uh, we, this week we reported and heard about a, a new consultant's report by the firm of uh, Tyndale Oliver that said Hillsborough is going to um, uh, be permitting about 10,000 homes a year for the next 15 years, mostly in the uh, the southeast portion of the uh, the county, which is really booming right now. That area has been one of the biggest growing areas in Hillsborough County for a very long time, and they've had to build new home, new schools regularly to keep up with the growth, but keeping up is not very easy to do. It's really, this uh, this report made it sound like that keeping up process would, is going to be very sobering. Um, we're talking um, on the low end, uh, 23 schools over the next 15 years. That's if they do so, a lot of uh, work with portables and redistricting, drawing, redrawing school boundaries. 
But the more probable uh, scenario is 38 new schools over the next 15 years, about two and a half schools uh, annually, which is a pretty good clip. It, uh, it's similar to the clip we had in the uh, in the uh, mid uh, 90s, uh, late 90s rather, to uh, for about 10 years after. Um, and ending just before the recession, um, the uh, the superintendent Jeff Akins is um, you know Pasco is talking about impact fees and raising taxes and Jeff is is said he told the, the Times editorial board this week that he's not inclined to go there with taxes until the district builds more trust with the public. This, his first two years as a superintendent have been on the rough side with all the revelations about the district's finances. So he's, he doesn't want to go there yet uh, with impact fees and taxes. So if he doesn't want to pay for it, what? how is he going to get new schools? Well, that's... that's uh, that's being all being discussed. The school board, uh, their reaction to this was that, uh, you know, uh, they were looking to uh, charter schools to take off to be kind of a release valve um, uh, from the, the pressure of the district having to provide all these schools. Uh, so they, that's the extent to which they've talked about it. It's just been introduced and it's going to be uh, a topic uh, for the next uh, two years, I would think. Um, Growth is one of the hardest issues for a community to deal with, primarily because parents who are existing in the community are become very attached to the schools that they have, and they feel like they are their first, and so they shouldn't have to move, and they shouldn't have to pay for the desires of somebody who's not even there yet. That's what we've seen in Pasco, and that's what we've seen in Hillsboro years back when I remember covering the West Chase community when they grew so big that they couldn't hold everybody who wanted to send their kids to the West Chase Elementary School. They had to send some kids elsewhere where there were empty seats. Nobody wanted to leave West Chase Elementary School, and the school board basically had to make some hard choices then. And now with new people coming in, the last thing that the communities want to do is make the existing communities pay for that growth rather than letting the growth pay for itself. And on a system level, too, in, in Hillsboro, it's, uh, it's, this call comes at a tough time because um, the district is already about a, a billion dollars in the hole uh, financially, and the, the projections are that uh, this growth will add another one billion or so uh, in construction costs, and another one billion or so on top of that in terms of maintenance. And they're already way behind uh, on maintenance. Well, my predi my prediction then is some sort of tax or general obligation bond or impact fee sometime in the near future if they're going to pay for this in any way, shape, or form. Or lots of double sessions. Double sessions are always very fun too. Double sessions, you know, it's gonna it's you've you've gotta pay for it somehow. Uh Pinellas just did the bonding thing and they're they're uh they're hard at work now on on uh uh putting lots of additions on schools and lots of improvements that a, a lot of deferred maintenance has been uh been needing to happen for a few years. If you have to raise that kind of money, it's, it can be easy if your community is very supportive. But if you have an environment like you suggested is in Hillsboro where people aren't trusting the school district too much, it can be a rough road to tow. Well, this is the part of the program where we talk about uh, items we saw during the week that caught our eye. Jeff, did anything st uh, strike you during the week? I just want to bring back the issue that I mentioned last week, which was the idea of having a chair for a student who had passed away at the graduation ceremony of a local high school. I have learned that the principal of that high school has relented and allowed the 
family to have a chair. It's going to be at the end of the row of the last graduate, and they are still going to do everything else that they planned to do to recognize the girl who passed away, who was very popular and well-liked. So that is, I think, the right way to go, and the district does too. They know that if they had taken any other choice, they would have had some PR problems that are just unnecessary. I know when they last talked about this, they, we last talked about it, they had yet to speak with the family. Had they, they, I guess they consulted with the family as well and uh, reached this decision? Yeah, that's how they came to it. They met with the parents and they decided that it was just what everybody wanted and the school didn't really have any reason to stand in the way. Great. That sounds like a very equitable uh, uh, decision. What about for you? What are you seeing out there? I uh, I came across an article in Education Week that was interesting uh, to me. Um, it was about a, a teacher named Timothy Walker, who's also a, a writer for The Atlantic, and he, he spent some time uh, over the last couple of years in Helsinki, Finland. Um, he was a fifth grade teacher there, and he took note of the differences between being a teacher in the United States and a teacher in Finland. It's hard to compare the two countries because there's so little poverty in Finland compared to us, uh, also not a lot of diversity. But he did have some interesting observations and he's, that he's uh, compiled into a uh, book called uh, 33 Simple Strategies for Joyful Classrooms. Um, he noticed uh, that uh, the teachers over there had lighter workloads and time commitments, um, more autonomy, less, less accountability. Uh, he said the hours, uh, sort of time on task, actually instructing students. He was used to about 30 hours a week over there. He said it was about 18. He was shocked at the difference. Um, at about in about half of his lessons, he had a he was he had a team teacher, another teacher in the classroom with him, which was which much more than he was used to. There were more breaks uh, during the day. Um, uh, brain breaks for fresh air. He said it was a much more peaceful learning environment. And he found himself, he was struck by how often he would tell the kids to sit down. Um, uh, he said, you know, over there they sort of allow the kids to get up and, and move a little bit more when they uh, need a break. But he's uh, compiled a lot of uh, interesting thoughts into this new book of his. And the, and the article, if you want to read it at uh, Education Week, the Education Journal, is um, – Joyful schools, what one U.S. educator learned from teaching in Finland. So it could be a thought I'd mention it for people out there who are interested in um, what goes on in the classroom. Who doesn't love some joy anyway, right? That's right. We all need some joy. Absolutely. And you can find it here on the Gradebook podcast. You can... You can join our conversation on Facebook, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. Hopefully you can share your ideas on the Facebook page, or you can go to our blog, which is tampabay.com slash gradebook. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. And I'm Tom Tobin. And thank you for listening. 